the reality is you got a little bit more left to give to God. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can look at my passage of Scripture. If you're joining us online this morning, we're glad that you're with us. This is Heartland Baptist Fellowship in South County, Missouri. We are glad that you are with us on this Easter morning and Resurrection Sunday. And what a beautiful time we have had. Wow. Uh, what a great celebration of Jesus' resurrection. The praise has been outstanding. The children singing. Wasn't that sweet? The baptisms. Yeah, man. I mean, four messages. We just saw four sermons. God's changed people's lives. They're following him in obedience. They've already trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, and now they're, they're following him in believers' baptism, showing publicly that they are Christ's and that he is theirs, and they are going to follow him with their whole heart. That's an incredible thing, uh, much act of obedience. And, uh, and man, man, that was a great song. And so I want to turn your attention this morning to the text that we've been in, in Malachi chapter 4. I'm not going to do a deep dive. Uh, if you want that, come back in a couple weeks after Vision Conference. And uh, we'll get into that. And by the way, if you're a guest, I just want to say, say thank you. Thank you for joining us and celebrating the resurrection this morning. I hope the kids had a great time with the Easter egg hunt. And, and for those that were here for breakfast and for the early service, some of you guys were a glutton for punishment, right? You've been here since uh, before 7 o'clock this morning. And I praise God for all those that have helped. A lot of hands have gone on to the celebration that we've had this morning. It's been incredible. Uh, I can't even start to say names or I'll forget a few. But uh there's been a lot of people <clears throat> work this morning to put this together, and I just appreciate God's church doing what she does to accomplish his mission and his power for his glory. And uh, for those that are guests, we're glad that you're able to get in on this. We invite you back every Sunday uh, to be part of the celebration, because really this is what we're about every week, is celebrating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and going to his word. And as I've mentioned in his providence, we have been in the book of Malachi. We're going to be in the fourth chapter this morning. So if you're looking for that book, it's in the back it's the last book of the Old Testament. If you go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, just back up to the, to the last book of the Old Testament, the last chapter of the Old Testament that we're going to be this morning. And you'll be able to find our text this morning. If you don't have a Bible, uh, please feel free to grab one from the seat rack in front of you. You saw Steve, Pastor Steve, reading out of that Bible. Uh, those are Bibles that we, we created right here at HBF. We have what we call an armory out in the parking lot back here, out in the back of the property where we assemble Bibles. And uh, those are Bibles that you can use, you can have. If you need a Bible, we want to get you a Bible in your hand because God's word is so precious. And so among other things, God has been declaring his love for his people. Uh, you've seen that today. He's declaring his love today. The sun came up, we're breathing. God is telling us he loves us. He wants us to know that. And in the book of Malachi, if you've been with us in our study, I've been talking about how God has declared his love for the nation of Israel. Right In Malachi chapter 1, in the second chapter, he says, he tells them very explicitly, I have loved you. I have loved you. And he had already demonstrated his love. He'd shown them uh, by taking them uh, uh, out of captivity, actually even taking them into captivity so that he could purge them of their idolatry, pulling them back out of captivity, establishing them as a nation. He loved them. But also we can see devotionally or doctrinally, prophetically, Jesus Christ has loved us. So here it is, 2021. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on the cross. He has loved us, right? He's shown us that he loved us. That's what we're celebrating today is the resurrection. He loved us by going to the cross and dying for our sins. And 2,000 years later, we can look back and we can look at the word of God and know that Jesus has loved us, right? It's recorded for us in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
And so some tangible ways in which he loved the nation of Israel. And this is just a little review for those of you that are just kind of jumping in. I normally would preach a separate message, but I just believe God has me right where we need to be in his providence. So I'm continuing our study of Malachi. But some of the things that he did is he, he, uh, he in spite of their scorn, right, in, spar- in, in spite of their rejection of his love, <coughs> he loved them anyway. <coughs> and he did this <coughs> by remembering his saints. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 9, he remembered them. He didn't forget them. He didn't forsake them. Isn't that true? Sometimes we forsake the Lord, but he never, he never forsakes us. He's so good that way. He sent his own son in Malachi 3.1. Over 400 years before Jesus came to this earth, he's talking about, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send my son. I'm going to send the Messiah. The, the, the prophet is going to go before him. And he's laying it all out for him. I'm going to send my son, Malachi chapter 3. Uh, his promise to redeem and bless those who fear him was also found in the third chapter in verses 16 through 18. And his also his promise to return with his saints and execute justice and judgment against his enemies. I preached a couple weeks ago about how he's going to take his people and turn them into jewels, right? They're going to be glorious vessels that that display, that that, uh, sparkle, that shine. And so he's got this plan for his people. It is his plan for us this morning. And so by promising to send Elijah the prophet to restore the heart of the fathers of the children, uh, that's the last thing. We haven't covered this yet uh, in this this sermon series on them, but we'll get to that in Malachi chapter 4, 5, and 6. So the last thing he says is, by the way, uh, before, uh, when I come to this earth, by the way, he's coming back. That's also part of the thing, uh, part of the, the thing, part of the, the gospel is not only that <laughs> I know what you're thinking, <laughs> so am I. But anyway, <clears throat> I won't get into that. So what part of the gospel is not only that Jesus lived, not only that he died, but that he rose again the third day. And what that means is he will fulfill his promise to come back, to return to this earth. We just sang about it. And, uh, and he is going to do that. So Easter is about celebrating the resurrection, the victory that Jesus has over the grave because he loved the Father, and the Father loved us. If it were for the love of the Father uh, for this world, we would be without hope. We'd be without Christ. But because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, <clears throat> we not only have hope, we have eternal life if we have trusted Christ and his shed blood to save us and atone for our sin. So the resurrection is the evidence of what Jesus had begun, uh, preaching all along to his disciples. He'd been telling them this was going to happen, right? He's been giving them information. In multiple places in the Gospels, he shares with them, this is, I'm going to die, <clears throat> I'm going to raise again, I'll take up my own life. He's demonstrated his power over the grave, right, in, that, in John 11 with Lazarus coming out of the tomb. So today we can ill afford to miss the power of, of the resurrection because they missed it they didn't understand it we this morning if you were in the early service or in the 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 sunrise service outside we talked about how you know they were they were seeking but they didn't see and even though they believed, they didn't really know right until they knew the scriptures and really understood that what jesus christ was doing was fulfilling his very words and this morning we have the words of god and he wants us to understand not only seek him but to see him for who he is and of course One of the clearest types of Christ in the Bible is the Son. This morning we were able to see that reminder as it came up and crossed over the horizon and it rose and and gave us the promise of a new day. One of the clearest types of Christ in the Bible is the Son. And we see this type today in our text. So let's read it and we'll be celebrating the power of the Son of Righteousness this morning in the time that we have remaining. Malachi chapter 4 
Uh, we're not going to deep dive. We're just going to take the first three verses this morning and look at this. Malachi chapter 4, and let's look at the text this morning, verses 1 through 3. Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, all that do wickedly shall be stubble, and <clears throat> the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall, and ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Twice in this passage that we read, you have named yourself <clears throat> as the Lord of hosts. The captain of the Lord of hosts is the Lord Jesus Christ. Joshua fell at your feet to worship. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the reality of your resurrection. We're thankful for the promises of your word. And we are asking you now to teach us from your word all things that you have said to us. Heavenly Father, we are not here to entertain ourselves. We're not here to uh, have an emotional experience, though, Lord, you do guide our emotions. We are here to, to meet you, and, Lord, I pray that your truth would guide every aspect of our life, our heart, our mind, our emotions, our will. Lord, would be completely given over to you this morning, that you would be glorified, for you are the only Son of God. You're the only righteous one who has died on the cross for our sins. You're the only one that has conquered sin and death. You're the only one who has resurrected from the grave. You're the only one that is alive right now, sitting at the hand, right hand of the Father and calling all men everywhere to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Oh, Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word this morning. We pray a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the application of it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage, we see some bad news. Before I get to the good news, it's always important to point out you've got to hear the bad news. right? The very first verse is incredibly rough. right? Now, if you had time and you were here last time we preached out of this chapter last week, I was able to mention some really incredible, precious promises in chapter 3, verses uh, 16 through 18. And God talks about how he has a plan for his people, how he wants to redeem his people. And he's, he's got a plan for those that fear him, those that love him. He wants to take care of them. But then he turns and pivots right after that, and he, and he gives some bad news. He says, for behold, the day cometh, saith <coughs> that the, uh, cometh that shall burn as an oven, and the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Total, totally consumed. As a matter of fact, we, later on, the prophecy goes on to talk about how they are as ashes be, be beneath the, the, feet, the, the feet of the saints. I mean, utter destruction, utter annihilation. That's scary to think about, and it should be scary. Because there are some who will not receive the good news. I was one of those once, right? I learned as a child about Jesus dying on the cross. I understood. I, I didn't really believe it, but I knew there was this guy who supposedly died on the cross for my sins. And, and I was one of those hard-hearted people who wouldn't receive the good news until I got fully baptized into the bad news, right? And once I got a little older, now the Bible does say, by the way, uh, God bless those that, that respond to the goodness of God. Um, Romans 2, 4 says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Amen and amen. It's true. But some of us, <laughs> some of us knuckleheads like me, right, I, I had to listen to the bad news. It wasn't until I got the bad news that there was actually judgment coming, that it finally clicked why God the Father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, because he was sending his son to get in the way of his own wrath so that we 
who, who, who could not take it, who will be completely annihilated, have someone, an advocate, the Bible calls it, propitiations, in other words, somebody is in between us and God's wrath, and it's the love of God sending his son in our stead so that we don't have to face the wrath to come. Oh, my goodness, God is so gracious and kind. And when I finally understood that, I finally was willing to hear the word of God and to receive with meekness the engrafted word, the Bible calls it, this Bible that is God's word. It literally saved my soul. I knelt down March 25th of 1987. I trusted Christ as my Lord and my Savior, and I understood, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross in my place, getting in the way of your wrath. He starts this fourth chapter off dealing with the wrath, but then he, he pivots, right? And he talks about this incredible relationship he has, which is the one that God wants to have with all of us, all of us that will call upon his name. He wants to have a relationship with us that brings healing, a relationship with us that brings assurance, that, that brings power, and, and that brings a, a really an ability for us to communicate and continue to go forth in his stead, reconciling others to God. He wants to heal us. He wants to empower us. He wants to sustain us. He wants to assure us, and some of us need assurance this morning. We live in a time that's getting increasingly dark, and there are people that are on edge, and they're fearful, and, and they're looking for a word. And on Sunday, Easter morning, the preacher busts out with a verse about the wrath of God. How bad can it get? It can get pretty bad. But I got new, good news for you. In Christ, it's all good. I mean, he comes in the midst of that dark setting and that blackness, and the light shines through, and he says, but wait a minute, wait a minute. And unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. What a beautiful promise that is. What a glorious grace that is. The son of righteousness. This morning we were able to see the sun come up and, and bust through the darkness, right? And now it's just illuminated and it's 70 and you're like, get done quick because this is going to be a great day. <laughs> we haven't had a lot of these. And God wants, you know what? God wants us to enjoy the sun. We love to soak up the sun, don't we? I do. Man, it's, I'm, I'm ready for winter to be over. I'm ready for the darkness to go away. I'm ready for the nice, I'm ready for it to be nice and warm. A few weeks ago, we were in Florida, a band and family, and man, I, it was a bad occasion, but uh, it was glorious weather. We got home, and my daughter's like, shut up about it, mom and dad. I'm like, I got to play softball, and you know, it was great. It's wonderful. Sun was out, beautiful. It's a little cold up here. The sun of righteousness. Man, he rises with healing in his wings. So you know what? If you're a note taker, my first point this morning is the sun of righteousness. You know what he does? He heals us. Why do we celebrate the resurrection? Because, man, Jesus Christ heals us. What? I, don't, I don't have to preach this today. It just was done. Right? We had four messages, and we saw people saying, Jesus Christ has healed me. I've been in addiction for 15 years, and Jesus Christ did it. Bam! You know, just like that. And I could go around this room, and people, there's all kinds of people in this room that could give that testimony and say, yes, yes, Jesus did it. And, man, we've had testimony after testimony. I know it doesn't make sense. It's Jesus. That's all I'm telling you. It is the son of righteousness providing healing. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean we don't struggle. It doesn't mean our flesh doesn't have power. But you know what? It is nothing in light of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like, Brian, you're getting a little charismatic here. Well, good. Somebody needs to. We need to trust Jesus in his power. We need to trust his word. All right. So he says here, the son, uh, but unto those that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. You see, it's God's choice of metaphor to use the son, capital S, by the way, in your Bibles. 
It's a proper noun. It's a title. The son of righteousness. It's no accident that he chose to title himself that. The son has been an object of worship among all heathen and pagan cultures. This is because the son is the closest thing that a lost man will ever get to seeing God in creation. They can't help themselves. In Romans 1, the Bible says in verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Meaning, that God chooses to use the sun that's burning in the sky as an example of his very Godhead. The sun is like the Godhead in that it is it has light rays that you can see but not feel. Picturing the Son of God. It has heat rays that you can feel and not see, picturing the Spirit of God. And it has uh <coughs> I think it's called actinic rays, like ultraviolet rays that you can neither see nor feel, which picture the Father. The Son is a is a is a witness to the world. In the book of Psalms, chapter 19, the Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. You see, God has a message with the Son, and it's found in the Son, S-O-N, right? So he uses the S-U-N to show us the S-O-N, the Son of Righteousness. And the Lord Jesus Christ, day after day, is revealed to us in creation. We see the sun rise and we see the sun set. And it pictures for us the power of God over darkness <clears throat> and, and his ability to bring light and life to this planet in which we live. When you think about it, without the sun, life would not exist on the planet. But with the sun, light and life does exist. It's a divine balance. The sun is a visible repre- representation of the spiritual light that God brought forth in Genesis. You remember in Genesis' account, if you go back and look at it, The sun, the moon, and the stars, those weren't created until the fourth day. Before all of that, on the first day, God divided the light from the darkness, right? And he called one day and the other night. He did that because he was dealing with another type of light. It's a a spiritual light. What you see from the rays of the sun, when you see the illumination that comes from the sky, that is just a picture of the illumination spiritually that God wants to bring to the heart of a lost and dying man. He wants to illuminate us with the light of Christ because Christ is the glory of God the Father. In John chapter 9 and verse 5, Jesus himself said, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Was he like a big, you know, fluorescent bulb, you know, a big LED light? Not physically. Nobody could even tell physically, but spiritually he was. Everywhere he went, he lit it up. People understood there was something unique about this man. What was that? He was the light of the world. When God turned on the lights in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, what was he doing? He's exposing the universe to his son, the light of the world, the light of the universe. And then four days later, he created the sun, the moon, and the stars. They just picture his light. What you see in the creation is just a type. The real thing is Christ. He is the light. In John 8 and verse 12, he says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. <clears throat> was he concerned about people you know, stumbling in the dark? No, he was talking about spiritual darkness. But they shall be but but shall have the light of life. You see, when we talk about salvation and we talk about people trusting Jesus Christ and 
bringing healing to the soul. What are we talking about? We're talking about inviting the light of the world into our hearts. And that's what illuminates us. That's what brings us to life. That's what makes us light ourselves. That's why our yoke is easy and our burden is light. The son of righteousness arose on the third day. Nearly 2,000 years ago, the world, the flesh, and the devil thought they had extinguished the light of the world. We got them. And as Jesus said, it is finished, and gave up the ghost, it appeared that Jesus had lost the battle with death. But no, not at all. Quite the opposite. He had already won. He had already died as the sinless Son of God, as the sacrifice for my sin and the sin for the entire world. So while they took his body from the cross and laid it in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, Jesus was, was, uh, <clears throat> having, Jesus was having a banquet in the presence of his enemies, in the center of the earth. He was preaching deliverance to the captives, and he was preparing to lead captivity captive. And as Ephesians 4 says, and give gifts unto men. He was victorious over the grave. It just wasn't quite realized yet. You see, there are two types of people in this room right now. There are those that have victory in Jesus. And it doesn't look like I'm victorious over the grave. I don't look any different than y'all. But I can tell you this, for me personally, I can only speak for myself. God changed me from the inside out, March 25th, 1987. And so you can kill me right now and I could drop dead. You can bury me six feet, 600 feet, 6,000 feet. You can burn me, you can torch me. It doesn't matter what you do with the carcass. Because Jesus Christ, the light of the world, has already delivered me. Death and hell have no sting. That's a promise. And I will resurrect. There's no way to stop that. It is over for the devil. He has lost the battle because Jesus won it on the cross. And when you put your faith in Christ, you become a victory. A victor, I should say. You get the victory. Because Christ, the light of the world, has illuminated your soul. He has quickened your dead soul and brought you to life. Now, you may not look different than anybody else. It may take a few days before anybody sees it, but the promise is in 1 Corinthians 15 is that when we get resurrected, and beloved, the resurrection is real. I'm getting ahead of myself here, but the, the reality is the resurrection is what it's all about. It doesn't just end here. It's not just about getting over our problems. It's not just about coping with COVID. Oh, my goodness, if that's all it was, we're all men most miserable. We got such a much more glorious reality that's laying ahead of us. That the things of this world make no difference in light of this. This is so incredible that the most important thing that we can be talking about this morning is the Lord Jesus Christ and his death, his burial, his resurrection, his coming to this earth and the glory that shall be revealed in us. And in the meantime, there are those that don't know him. And today, God wants to illuminate their dark heart. He wants to bring them to life. He wants to take them from darkness to light, from death to the resurrection. And as Jesus is in the heart of the earth preaching, and letting people know that I have been, I have fulfilled it. On the third day, man, he bust forth from the tomb. It's an incredible thing. Victorious over sin and death. The son of righteousness, conquering sin and death. How did Jesus heal us? Good question. God speaks through the prophet Isaiah and tells us in Isaiah 55, 700 years before Jesus died on the cross, when it says that Jesus is the son of righteousness, the son of righteousness shall, shall rise with healing in his wings. There's a, a double entendre here, right? So we, we're, I'm talking this morning devotionally about the resurrection. That's just devotional. Literally, he will return to this earth. That's the actual context. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks when we come back around to this passage, and I'll dive a little deeper. So how did he heal us spiritually? I'm glad you asked. Isaiah 53 and verse 3 says this. I'm going to read this passage. 
uh, and it's on the screen if you don't have a Bible. This is a long passage, so if you do have a Bible, it's worth your time probably to look over the Isaiah 53 in verse 3. But let's just, just listen to what the Word of God says. 700 years before Jesus died on the cross, approximately. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But why was he, why was he stricken? Why was he smitten of God and afflicted? The answer is in verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, here it comes, we are healed. The son of righteousness comes with healing in his wings. How are we healed? By his stripes. All we like sheep have gone astray. There's not one of us in here that's better than anyone else. We've all gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he opened, openeth not his mouth, though if he would have, he could have stopped it instantly. He was taken from the prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Here it comes. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. This is how he healed us. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great and shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he, hath, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. You see, you don't get access to God's grace unless you understand that you're a transgressor. God is right and we're all wrong. That's why we come to him in faith and thank him for dying on the cross in our place. The text in Malachi 4 says that there is healing in his wings. The text of Isaiah says it's by his stripes we are healed. This is not a contradiction at all. Jesus doesn't have literal wings, but the imagery is that of stretched out arms to protect us. In every great movie, right? The guy is always diving in front of the bullet, your arms stretched out. What did Jesus do? He died in, in our, on the cross, arms stretched out to get in front of, a, of the death and hell that we all deserve. You can say, well, I don't really believe that, Brian. You know what? It doesn't matter what you believe. What matters is what's true. But you need to believe it because that is the only way to escape the penalty of death. See, by stripes, we're healed. By his stripes, we're healed. Jesus doesn't have literal wings, but the imagery is that of these stretched out arms to protect us. Jesus is not a literal bird any more than the Holy Ghost is a literal dove. And Jesus wasn't a literal lamb, but he is the lamb of God that died for the sins of the world. So all those metaphors picture for us the character and the nature of Christ. 
In Deuteronomy 32 and verse 11 and 12, Jesus likens himself to an eagle caring for her young. In Matthew 23, verse 37, in Luke 13, 34, he is likened to caring for the nation of Israel as a hen caring for her chicks. You see, God's not a bird. He's not a female. Um, he's also not a big ball of burning gas in the sky, right? All of those are pictures. They're just images. They're things to allude to who he is. But if you really want to know who Jesus Christ, who God is, I'm sorry, all you got to do is look to Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1.3 says, who being in the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. When the Bible says in the beginning God, who's it talking about? It's talking about Jesus Christ, the express image of his person. When he speaks with lips, it's coming out of the mouth of Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about God, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. When he made when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of majesty on high. Oh, how glorious it is to think that the God of the universe cared enough about his creation to limit himself and be made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death explicitly so that he could get in, way, uh, in the way of his own righteous wrath to save us, to make us new creatures in Christ. And because the son of righteousness overcomes the grave, we will overcome the grave as well. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 12, the Bible says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there's no resurrection of the dead? Increasingly, you're going to find many people today say, Well, there's no such thing as a resurrection. That's a cunningly devised fable. All you preachers out there are full of baloney. Hey, there's a lot of preachers full of baloney. I will be honest about that. But at the end of the day, it's not about preachers. It's about what does the Word of God say. And the Word of God is very clear. It's right in front of us this morning. But, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. If this thing's not real, then we should call it quits and go home. But because it is real, man, what in the world? We got so many promises. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain. Our faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not. But wait. Verse 16. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And, Christ, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, <clears throat> and you are yet in your sins. Beloved, the resurrection is so important that if, if it's not true, then this is all a joke, and we should just go home. This has to be true, or we're all men most miserable. But it goes on to say, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But, verse 20. Now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept, those that have died. For since by man came death, that would be Adam, by, <clears throat> by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So we have a problem with our first birth that comes from Adam. That's why a little child, we spend so much time teaching him to do right. Very seldom do we just say, you know, little Johnny was born and he's just done everything right. You're like, no, Johnny, don't go do this. No, Sally, don't do that. Because our very nature is what it is. It's sinful. It's because of Adam. So Jesus Christ is called the last Adam. And he came to correct that. When Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life, he wasn't kidding. There is no hope to get out of the grave if you don't believe in Jesus and his power over the grave. This past year, the entire world was moved to limit the death toll of a man-made strain of the coronavirus. We're all aware of it. This time last year, we couldn't meet in person because of it. 
Everybody was moved because they didn't want to see people die. And praise the Lord, we don't want to see people die. But beloved, listen, there's another virus. It's called sin. And man, I tell you what, we need to be about getting the gospel where it needs to go on time. The answer to sin and death is Jesus Christ. The answer, the answer to the, the wrath to come is Jesus Christ. And, and I tell you what, guys, it's, a much, it's even more important, all due respect, than making sure you're safe from corona. God wants to make sure you're saved from hell. And so there's a 100% chance of dying and going to hell if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And the only way to find healing, the only way to find the help that we all need is through what the Bible calls the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, he died on the cross in our place, he rose again the third day, fulfilling the scriptures, and he is alive right now, calling all men everywhere to repent. And so the son of righteousness, it has the power to heal us, but not only that, for those that call upon his name and get saved, you know what, he has the power, he he gives us power. The son of righteousness empowers us. He goes on to say, and ye shall go forth. The son of righteousness empowers us to, to know God's mission. God has a plan for his children. Every day the sun rises and we, we count it a new opportunity to, to have a new day. One of my favorite, favorite verses is Lamentations 3.22. It says, it is the Lord's mercies that were not consumed because his compassions fail not. Aren't you glad God's gracious? Amen, I am. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. And his mercies are new every morning. Every time you see that sun come up in the morning, the sun of righteousness, you know what you can bank on it. God's mercies are new every morning. He's given you a new day, a new opportunity. Jesus' resurrection brought power to know God's mission, and God's <coughs> and, and God wants to use us to fulfill his mission. The disciples were not fully grasping all that Jesus had done in resurrecting because they didn't know the scripture. I preached a little bit about that this morning. In John 20 and verse 9, it says, For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. And it wasn't that they hadn't heard of Jesus teach on this. The reality was they just hadn't had the occasion to look in the Bible and pin it down in the Old Testament. Hours after Jesus ascended and then descended, he spoke to the disciples on the road to Emmaus about the resurrection, and he shared with them the reality of what had happened from the Scriptures, from the law of Moses. And and it burned in their hearts. Even before they could recognize who Jesus was, the Spirit of God was teaching them all things, whatsoever he said to them. And by the time they understood who they were dealing with, he was gone. But you know what he left was his word. Later on that night, he would meet with his disciples, and they were still sorting through things. And though he was physically present with them, they were still grasping the reality of the resurrection. Because even though Jesus was alive, he was bringing them to life. He was bringing his church to life. He was getting ready to empower them in Acts chapter 2 and give them the Spirit of God so that they could go forth in his stead, in his power, and proclaim the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of us this morning, probably most of us this morning, you're not here because you're lost. You're here because you're saved. And you're here to celebrate the resurrection. Well, i got good news for you. The Son of Righteousness, he wants to empower you this morning. we we got, we got a lot of solar power going on today where, I, where they're trying to capture the harness, the power of the sun. Hey, beloved, that ain't nothing like the power of the sun that God wants to have in you. He wants you to harness the power of the sun of righteousness. He wants you to go forth as a light in the dark place. And he says, man, I need you guys to go. I need you to go ye therefore and teach all nations. And ye shall go forth, he says. And so we will not be empowered to go with the gospel until we actually know the gospel 
in the Word of God. Let me give you something practical. For you four that got baptized, and for all of you that are new in the Lord, we got a lot of new people that have just come to faith in Christ. One of the best things you can do when you're first saved is simply go back in the Bible and learn what you trusted to get saved. What we call it the gospel, the, the verses that, that we talk about all the time, Romans 10, 9, and 10, Romans 3, 23, Romans 6, 23, John 3, 16, Romans 5, 12, what's, uh, John, or Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. There's, there's a lot of them. But anyway, you need to go back and just anchor yourself in the promises of God's word. I'm not saying you're not saved if you don't understand those things and know them by heart. But I tell you what that does is it anchors your soul to the truth of God's word, but it also does something else. It empowers you. It empowers you to open your mouth boldly and speak the gospel as you ought. God wants to empower us to, to illuminate others. He wants us to understand the gospel in such a way that we can communicate it. Can you communicate the gospel this morning? If not, why not? If you're saved, you should be able to do that. The Son of Righteousness empowers us to go forth and fulfill God's mission. Jesus spent 40 days, starting with the first day <coughs> after he got out of the tomb, and, and, he, and it was discovered empty. And he began teaching his disciples so that he could release them to the world. So Jesus' resurrection was used to send forth his disciples as apostles, as sort of his ambassadors. And they needed to be trained before they went. Jesus' discipleship program began right there. Of course, it's not a program. It's a way of life. Maybe this morning you need to get involved in discipleship because the Son of Righteousness empowers us to go forth from the grave. We've already seen in 1 Corinthians 15 that, it, that we will resurrect because Jesus resurrected. And our resurrection is so much better than Lazarus' resurrection in John chapter 11. Lazarus came forth and he was all bound, you know, and they had to unwrap him. Beloved, we got such a promise that if we're alive at the catching away of the church, we're changed instantly. Forget your clothes. You're in a new creature in Christ. You're, you're changed in a moment. For those of us that die, we'll resurrect, and we get a glorified body. It's so much, it's so incredible to believe and to know this. It's amazing what God promises us. Hallelujah, we serve a risen Savior. Amen? It is incredible. The last thing I need you, or not almost the last thing, I'm almost done. The Son of Righteousness, it also sustains us. He says, and you'll grow up as calves of the stall. You know, the Son of Righteousness sustains us through structures. Beloved, the world is in a situation where a lot of structures falling apart, and that's not all on accident. That's why in the book of Malachi, the last thing, what does the Lord say? The last thing in Malachi 4 is, hey, I'm going to restore the hearts of the fathers to the children, to their sons, the hearts of the sons of the fathers, because you think it's just society that's falling apart. There, this is what's going on. There's, a, there's a, a, a distinctly intentional design to destroy the family, and there has been. This is no new thing. This is not just a new Marxist agenda. This has been going on since Genesis. The very first thing, what do you think that Satan was after when he dis disrupted Adam and Eve? He was trying to disrupt their family. And he did a good job. Cain slew Abel, the first murder in the Bible. And beloved, it's been going on ever since. So God wants to restore our families. He wants to bring us back. He wants to sustain us through structure. Doctrinally, this was written to the nation of Israel and speaks to God's provision for them through the tribulation, the millennium, and even into eternity. He has a plan for the nation of Israel to provide for them. But devotionally, we understand that we are like oxen. Pastor Mike Blake just preached this incredible marriage retreat a few weeks ago. And he likened it, and he talked about how a married couple is likened to oxen. And he pulled that from the Bible. You know, in 2 Corinthians 6.14, the Bible tells us that we should not be unequally yoked to unbelievers. You don't want to have an ox and an ass trying to plow together. It don't work very good. 
It disrupts them. So you need to be equally yoked. He says, you know what? I'm, I'm going to put you in the stall, and I'm going to feed you. Twice in the New Testament, Paul likens the minister to an ox. He says, don't muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. 1 Timothy 5.18 and 1 Corinthians 9.19. You see, the father feeds his oxen in a barn, but he expects them to go work in the field. Proverbs 14.4 says, where no oxen are, the crib is clean, meaning the feeding crib. But much increases by the strength of the ox. You see, this is an indication that things don't, can get a little messy around the house uh, when you got people doing God's work. But the ministry needs to get done by the strength of the ox. God wants to provide us strength. He wants to provide us structure. He wants to provide us a place where we can get fed so that we can go out in the world and plow the field. God has work for us to do. He wants to sustain us. He wants to give us structure. So God is revealing his care for his flock. Notice that while this, <coughs> this does seem to focus on a bull calf, there is no distinction between beef or lamb. The analogy here is also that Jesus the good sh- is the good shepherd, and he takes care of his sheep. He didn't rise again and go to the third heaven, uh, never to speak to his disciples. I mean, before he even can get up to the third heaven, he's like, oh, wait, hey, don't touch me, Mary. <laughs> I'll, I'll be right back. He's already interacting with his disciples. He's like, hey, I'll be right back. I'll be back to help you out. I, I got to get to the third heaven. <laughs> I, I, it's just like the ministry. And, of course, he goes to the third heaven. Forty-five minutes later, he's back. He's on the road of Emmaus. He's talking to disciples. I mean, you know, he talks to Mary. I mean, he just Mary's the first one that saw him. And then, of course, then he's talking to, later on, we know that he talks to Peter. And he ends up that night appearing to everybody that was assembled. I mean, he is about coming back and investing and taking care of those that he left behind. So he spends 40 days with them. Because that's why the resurrection wasn't done in a corner. <laughs> there was over 500 people alive, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, that could testify to the fact that we saw Jesus alive. We've seen him. This wasn't done in a corner. So these, these eat in the stall. A stall is a place created to, to feed. Obviously, these beasts are not pets. He plans to use them for work in his field. But the point is this. He provides for them just as he provides for us. And by the way, if you haven't seen this, that's what the church does. What is a local church? Is this an organization? Is this? No, this is a supernatural organism. God has ordained it. Ephesians chapter 4 gives us the structure. And this is a place. You've got to have a local church, whether it's this one or some other place. After God saves your soul, what he wants to do, he wants you to come and park in the stall. He wants you to take up a seat, and he wants you to be fed, and he wants you to be fed frequently, and then he wants you to go out and work out what you learned. And he'll come back day after day, week after week, so that you can continue to learn, so you continue to grow, and so you continue to serve, because he sustains us through structure so that we can serve him for his honor and glory. The stall pictures what God is providing through his word, his church, and his spirit. The stall is a place of protection, just like being under his wing. God has established a local New Testament church to protect you. The stall is a place of provision. Just as Jesus expounded the scripture to the disciples after his resurrection, so he could send them as the, as the, after his ascension and empower them in Acts chapter 2, God grants his spirit to us, and he feeds us through the ministry of the local New Testament church and every member in particular so that we can go forth and work in his field. The stall is a place for you and I to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We use the word stall to say something <clears throat> to say something is delayed or hindered, right? It, my, my car stalled out. What does that mean? You need to pause. You know what, beloved? When you take time every week to pause and you make 
worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ a priority in your life and you put him first, first day of the week, just like the disciples did, when you make spending time in God's word, uh, word a priority daily and you park yourself and you graze in front of that, that Bible that God's given you, letting the Holy Spirit teach you. I got news for you. When you pause, when you pause in that stall, God is preparing you and he's equipping you and he's empowering you and he's sustaining you to face anything that the world, the flesh, and the devil is going to throw at you. And I'm telling you, beloved, the power of the resurrection is not just something that we're looking forward to, though we are. The power of the resurrection is found in the words of God, in the local New Testament church of God, and in the very Holy Spirit of God that lives in us and teaches us all things. And lastly, the son of righteousness. And this is what we need in the world today. We need assurance. The son of righteousness brings assurance to us. The last thing that we're going to see here is in verse 3. It says, And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. You see, the Son of Righteousness has assured us we will rule and reign with him. The same promises that he is offering the nation of Israel in the, in the book of Malachi, in spite of their hard-heartedness, are the same promises that he gives us. And he's calling us every day to, to be more and more like him. Why? Because he has plans for us even after the resurrection. This life is not just about what happens from the day you get saved to the day you die or get raptured. It's about what happens in eternity future. And all we're doing right now is preparing for it. And so the decisions we make today have an impact well beyond our years on this earth into eternity future. And so it's important that we take this seriously. He's telling them, he's giving them a heads up. He's saying, hey, guys, I got victory planned for you. Your enemies are going to be ashes under your feet. It's going to be complete victory. Romans 8.35 says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Anybody got any answers? Who's going to separate you from the love of Christ? Nobody. You say, but Brian, you don't understand my sin. You don't understand my darkness. Well, praise God, I don't. But Jesus does. And he's already paid the price for it. He's already paid the penalty for it. You cannot out God's goodness. Hey, your sin may be dark, but he's light. You can't, once the sun comes on, you can't get away from him. He wants to invade your soul. He wants you to deal with your sin. He wants you to embrace who he is and receive his forgiveness. Otherwise, you'll be counted as his enemy. But once you receive him as, as Lord and Savior, man, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. Why? Because as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So Joseph Stalin, Chairman Mao, killing millions of people, many of which are Christians, what did that do for them? Nothing. They're all coming back in power and glory. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, the Son of Righteousness will appear. And you know when he's going to choose to appear? Just like we always say, it's always darkest before the dawn. Man, right now there's a lot of people on edge. I feel sorry for the younger generation because it just, where's the hope? I mean, it's just, it's, it's like, wow, where's the hope? Well, beloved, I got news for you. We got all kinds of hope. And it's found in Christ. It's the same place the hope has always been found. There's been dark days before. But I can tell you this, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. The resurrection power of Christ encourages us to live a life 
that makes a difference for God. And the Bible tells us there's no weapon formed against us that shall uh, prosper. And so, praise God for that. The sun rising is always a symbol of assurance, isn't it? Even in the world, we sing about it. The sun will come out tomorrow, right, Annie? You know, I watch a lot of Annie. Or maybe the Beatles, right? Here comes the sun, dun-dun-dun-dun. Here comes, right? Elton John says, don't let the sun go down on me. Dun-dun-dun-dun, right? I don't want to get out of the, I don't want to, I don't want to go into darkness. Billy Withers said, ain't no sunshine when she's gone. We know those songs. I'm telling you, everyone in the world, whether lost or saved, they understand there's something about the sun. And God has put that sun there. And their emotions, are, they, it affects your emotions. No vitamin D, man, you're messed. The sun rising is only assurance if you're a child of God. If you're not, the rising of the sun is pictured as an oven. How many of us haven't baked in the sun? You know what happens when you bake in the sun? You don't take it seriously. You minimize the sun's rays. You take advantage of the sun, and you find out <laughs> it takes advantage of you. Right? You need some protection from the sun of righteousness. And that protection is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. To quote Brian Clark, who quoted his grandfather, Clifford Clark, who quoted some other preachers I don't know. The gospel is only good news if it gets where it needs to go on time. Today, saints celebrate the resurrection. But if you're still dead in trespasses and sins, you really don't have anything to celebrate unless you come out of darkness and step into the light. So the primary message of the resurrection is God wants you to participate in his power over sin and death. We don't have power over the grave until we come to terms with the one who has conquered it. And so John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Do you know anybody else that's given up their child for you? Their only child? Their perfect child? gave a son how many sons would go to the cross not my will father but thine be done i don't want to do this as a human but i'm going to do it because well i love you and you love me there's a reason this book wraps up with the father loving the son and the son loving the father because in a dark time when you want to understand and be illuminated by the light of god you got to understand one thing there's a father in heaven that loved his son dearly but yet he gave him as a sacrifice for our sin and then there's a, there's a son on this earth that though he didn't want to be separated from the father, though he didn't want to have anything to do with sin and death, he went ahead and conquered sin and death and became sin for us who knew no sin. Why? Because he loved the father. And if you want to get your family fixed, you want to get your life together, beloved, you've got to get in on this. It's the light of Christ. It's the good news of the gospel. You see, Adam messed it all up in the garden. Well, for by his one man, sin entered into the world. That one man is Adam. And because of him, sin is passed upon all men. But because of Jesus Christ, 
we can be made new creatures. Romans 3.23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life. I'm sorry, it says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, God is not just a benevolent father to his son. As a matter of fact, he put his son under the bus for us. And he calls us to be his sons. He wants to bring us into his family through the new birth. The Bible calls it being born again. Nicodemus, the, the great teacher of the Bible, couldn't understand this in John chapter 3. So Jesus had to break it down for him. He says, Nicodemus, I'm talking about being not born physically. I'm not talking about a physical ball of flame. I'm not talking about a physical lamb. I'm talking about Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I need you to understand you must be born again. This is something that you can feel, you can sense, but you can't see. And right now, as I preach this message, there are some right now, the Bible said God is calling all men everywhere to repent. The Spirit of God puts a, there's times in our lives, I've been here, when the Spirit of God says, I am calling you right now to come to know me as Lord and Savior. Today is the day to step out of darkness into the light. And beloved, if God is calling you to salvation, do not turn away. Don't think that you're so dark that God can't forgive you. He loves you more than you can. You can't even outsin his goodness. He's able to deal with your sin. Don't worry about that. Believe in what he's done for you. Put your faith in him and receive the forgiveness of sins this morning. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. All of us by nature want to work our way out of our hole. I'll get better. I'll try harder. But our very best effort falls short. That's because we're sinners. God says, I'm not worried about your effort. I just need you to trust my effort. I'm the one who's already done the work. Would you receive this as a gift? When someone gives you a gift, you don't pay for it. You could never pay for salvation. It's worth too much. That's why God gives it to us. In Romans 9 and 10, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For with the mouth confession is made unto salvation with the heart, right? I got it messed up. Help me out here. For with the heart man believeth unto salvation, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now I'm getting it all messed up. I know this verse by heart, and I just dropped it. So I'm going to read it. God's just saying, Brian, don't trust your memory. For with, <coughs> yeah, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, son of righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord is over, over all, is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's Easter. We have had a great celebration. You know what the Bible says? When one sinner repents, it erupts in glory. You know why? Because every time someone gets a hold of the resurrection land, there's a party going on in heaven. Nobody on earth may knows, nobody hardly may even know, but if you're serious about Jesus and you say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, come into my heart and save me, and you mean business with God, he'll do it. And even if nobody else gets a hold of it, man, the angels rejoice. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time to, to come together and celebrate the resurrection, the son of righteousness. I pray a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word. I thank you for providing so graciously.